doctor, I let you go. For December 25th, this is This Week in Time Travel. going to start off this podcast by saying that I will cry. I will probably continue crying a lot. I have just seen the episode. I am still crying. I am going to be crying for a very long time. That's okay. I can tell that you have your emotional support pop filter in front of your microphone right now. I do, as along with tissues, and there's alcohol somewhere hidden in this house. I will find it. (laughs) Hi, everybody. This is Chip. And this is Alyssa. And this is This Week in Time Travel for Christmas. And so this is Christmas. And what a wonderful, beautiful, brilliant Christmas it was. I think it's impossible to have anything but high expectations and hopes for an episode like this one. And I hoped and prayed that it would meet them. And I have just been happy crying since about midway through this episode, because what a beautiful send-off for Peter Capaldi. What an incredible welcome for Jodie Whittaker. Well, way to spoil the lead here. You know, you, now you've told everybody right off the outset that this was a wonderful episode that had you bawling. Um, I'm not known for my subtlety. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I am just about there with you. This was a powerful, powerful hour of television, and... A very appropriate send-off for Peter Capaldi, and a very appropriate, although brief, introduction to the 13th Doctor as well. It did surprise me in one key respect. Let's get the mundane out of the way before we get to the meaningful. Uh, I was expecting more Cybermen. I was expecting more connection to 10th Planet, but this is just like a blink in between scenes in the thing. Quite literally, it looks like time was frozen, the uh, first doctor was plucked out, and then he is dropped right back in for time to restart again. This is a a very, very brief moment at the end of The Tenth Planet, and pretty much exactly where I initially thought this would go. I had another theory earlier about how it might fit into Episode 3, but now my first impulse of this is going to be the very end of The Tenth Planet where he wanders off into the snow, and yep, that's exactly, exactly what we saw. In a private channel, our friend um, Eric Stadnick from Doctor Who, the writer's room, said that it was going to take him a while to process this one because there was so much meta in this story all over the place. Uh, And that meta sort of starts right from the beginning with captions that talk about, you know, that this story begins like 709 or whatever episodes ago. You know, the story begins and ends as representations and cuts and reminders that this is a television show, the continuation of a television show with that literal morph of William Hartnell to David Bradley. That was kind of a weird sensation for me to be sort of reminded periodically that this is fiction. This We're in the land of fiction here. Yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, the 709 episodes note definitely got an eyebrow from me because there's a, you know, break in the fourth wall there. Um, but I did sort of like the representation of taking it um, sort of in and out of previous and modern dimensions for television, in and out of black and white, in and out between William Hartnell and David Bradley, especially that note at the beginning from 
Peter Capaldi's doctor saying your face is all over the place. Um, yeah. You know, it, it was, I think, a nice tribute to Hartnell uh, and the original cast and crew while allowing Bradley's work to stand as its own thing. You know, I previously wondered whether they'd reshoot the regeneration scene because there's not a lot of uh, surviving footage of it left. That episode is lost. The actual regeneration scene survives, but uh, the first moments with Patrick Troughton do not. But they left it exactly as is. We just sort of phased in and out of it. But that morph between uh, Hartnell and Bradley is just so good. Like, it's brilliant every time. Yeah. There's so much to unpack about how the story is told and sort of the basic mechanics of the plot. And yet, this is not a story about plot. This is a story about meaning and about feelings. And about memories. Mm -hmm. And... I think that ties in very well to the actual mechanics of production as well, because there's a lot here about how we remember the first Doctor's era versus how we are representing it now of how it was initially broadcast versus how we need to film and broadcast the episode now that there is so much about the importance and meaning of the character of the Doctor and how he is remembered by us, by the viewers and fans, and how he is remembered within the universe of Doctor Who as both a savior and a warrior, as someone who causes destruction and attempts to heal it. And there's a lot of very interesting meditation on the importance of the Doctor to us and how he wants to remember his own life. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about David Bradley and the first Doctor before we get into all the feels about the 12th? Oh, sure. An interesting conversation between Bill and the first Doctor about why he left Gallifrey. And we've had a couple of explanations over the years, even from Stephen Moffat, you know, differing ones, about why the Doctor would have left Gallifrey with his granddaughter. And this is the first time that we get him sort of opening up about his testing his sense of morality, trying to understand why good and evil when they are at war in the universe, why evil just doesn't walk all over it. And that's really interesting to me because, you know, the first doctor early on famously did not have a heroic arc. No, I mean, his very first story involves him attempting to commit murder. Right. And he is shocked to see that the 12th Doctor has not only made a name for himself, but the planet is protected or what, whatever uh, Capaldi's line is. And the first Doctor just sort of eyebrow up and what? It communicates to me that the first Doctor has always been at heart a good man. It just took time for the doctor to put that into practice, to become a person of action, to get to the point where Patrick Troughton in the Moonbase says that these things of evil in the universe must be fought. Yeah, I think it's an interesting characterization. I think one point I have to note, and I talked about this last time in our review of The Tenth Planet, is sort of how we remember the first Doctor as 
a character and as something portrayed by the man, William Hartnell. And this is a man who in some ways is trying to be good, but he's also in a very grounded in our real world way, not very good to people around him often. He is patronizing and can be dismissive. And he has been written in the past to be a tad bit sexist. I think that I showed some initial concern when the first hints started coming out that they would address that in this story. And I was initially kind of waiting, I guess. I was waiting to see how it would be portrayed and uh, how it would come across off sc- on screen. And frankly, I felt that it probably was not going to be too bad because the 12th Doctor was going to call the first Doctor out on it and say, you can't say things like that anymore or ever. Really, don't do it. It's much better than it was previously portrayed in stories such as The Five Doctors, where the First Doctor gets to kind of walk around being a patronizing jerk, um, particularly to Tegan. uh, And everyone's response is just to tell Tegan to, you know, go along to get along and not to be offended um, by the clearly offensive things that the First Doctor is doing. Uh, In this story, I felt it was you know, for the most part, appropriately handled uh, the moment where Bill sort of indicates to both the first doctor and the captain of, hi, I'm very familiar with women, too. I'm a lesbian did kind of make me laugh. But overall, I felt like it was really kind of amped up a bit more than it needed to be. There were a few lines uh, where I thought, really, no, we don't need to have this in an episode even if the 12th Doctor is calling it out. Like, it it definitely pulled me out of the episode for a moment. That is my one very small quibble with this of, well, we could have taken a second pass at the script and edited a few lines of this out. I think I'm with you. There's a meta quality to this in that the first Doctor is a character that was created in the 1960s as a, as a product of 1960s television and... Is a product of William Hartnell, who, by yeah. onset accounts, uh, was not always a gentleman to some of the women that he co-starred with. So there is that sort of level of meta commentary there, and also an illustration that the Doctor has grown over his 12 incarnations uh, plus. But I think I would have been more comfortable if that opportunity had been passed up and if we just hand waved and said that was the way that they made television in the 60s and they didn't portray the doctor as having that kind of character right now whether that would have been honest is an open question but that was the one part of the story that sort of threw me out myself mhm but i think for a large part bradley did a very faithful interpretation of Hartnell's character, that it was something that, you know, blended in so perfectly with the rest of the era. It was distinct uh, to Bradley and his performance, but it felt like watching The First Doctor when we were watching it. Yeah. So well done by uh, Stephen Moffat and Rachel Talalay to really emphasize that we're looking at different actors in the 60s and today, not just the first Doctor, but also Ben and Polly. 
and that, um, you know, they're actually doing the work for us. I have seen uh, critics uh, and fans online who we talked about this before. They are so familiar with the first Doctor and the, 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 the early Doctor Who canon that they just don't buy another actor doing the role. We'd rather not have it. And uh, Moffat and Talalay say, basically, tough. Here it is. We're going to hold your hand through the process. This is what you've seen before. This is what you're seeing now. It's going to be okay. Let's move on. Yeah. Yeah, and they sort of have to because there's a lot of people who haven't. A lot of people who literally weren't born yet. So, you know, be be open and welcoming to everybody coming in. <laughs> there we go. This is, of course, the 12th Doctor's story. How are you feeling, Alyssa? Uh, I'm still feeling like I'm going to cry. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a good send-off for... Peter Capaldi. It's a good send-off for his doctor. It lands on the perfect note. Just be kind and keep running. And it is such a wonderful way to honor what he fought for during his time as the doctor and a great way to show how much his character has grown and changed yes. since he first walked on yes. screen. And in series 8 he was nothing he was anything but kind, especially early on. Exactly. He almost seemed to deliberately want to move away from that. But he found a good balance where he could be sharp and challenging and difficult, but also warm and kind above all and it was so perfect, and this last episode landed on just the right note. Powerfully so. With the 12th Doctor not being up against a bad guy at all in this story, that gives it so much more room for him to be himself and for him to focus on his internal struggle, whether to go on or not. He has... Not even really antagonists, but people to play against in the first Doctor and even even Dalek Rusty. Dalek Rusty is back. Yeah, that was an unexpected turn, uh, but one uh, that wasn't actually unwelcome. It was done so well in it that I was like, oh, we're going back to this. We're going back to his first like full story as the Doctor, you know, where he starts making decisions about who he wants to be. And it's great. What were the things that caught you by the feels and wouldn't let you go? Oh, God. Um, I mean, I think I first started to get really caught by the feels when Bill and the doctor start talking about – I mean, when when, for, when Bill first comes to the door and you see just how – happy and relieved the doctor is and how that immediately turns into bitterness and suspicion because he's done this rodeo too many times and he just does not want to believe that that's really bill because or more more accurately he can't believe that it's bill he cannot believe that something just good has happened in the world that's Someone just did something kind to preserve Bill and her life and her memories. 
and he doesn't believe that there could be just good intentions behind it, that there isn't some malice here, which I think perfectly sums up the episode is for a very long time, he doesn't know that the testimony is not in and of itself trying to be cruel or dangerous. It's not trying to exploit people. It is just trying to preserve stories and memories. And it's it it seems to put him off balance a little bit. He's not expecting uh, that somebody just did something to be kind. And I really lost it and began crying when Bill's talking about just the thing that's hard about knowing the doctor is that it's hard to let him go. And God, that's exactly what I'm feeling right now. It's it was it was hard to get to that point in the episode and know we're so close to it that it is coming that he is going to have to leave. And you just don't want to let him go. You know, as excited as I am for Jodie Whittaker, as as amazed as I was that this has finally happened and we're finally going to get her, I did not want to let Peter go at all. And that's, you know, that's the moment where I lost it, where I started crying and I'm tearing up right now thinking about it. So uh, it was it was an emotional roller coaster of a ride. How about you? Well, I released a podcast on, on my old uh, platform, the Two Minute Time Lord podcast, less than 24 hours before this uh, episode aired. And I was thinking a lot about letting go. And for various personal and professional reasons, you know, I'm entering a stage in my life where I need to be really intentional about letting go. So I started thinking about this episode very intentionally about this is the episode when I am going to let Peter Capaldi and the Twelfth Doctor go. Now, mind you, that's not as dramatic a statement as it might be for you, Alyssa, because I think the Twelfth Doctor wars with the Third as your doctor, and mm-hmm. uh, the Tenth Doctor is and always will be my doctor. But but I accumulate doctors and other fandom objects and fandom interests and life interests and things like that. I accumulate them like per, a perpetual ball of Velcro. I keep adding and adding and adding. Um, I I am upset by the fact that it's been fairly widely reported that Peter Capaldi's not thinking a whole lot about Big Finish or future multi-doctor stories or anything else like that, that he's that he appears to feel like he's done his piece, he's satisfied, and he's ready to move on. And I'm like, but wait! So going into Twice Upon a Time, I tried to work against that. And I was like, this is going to be a great send-off for him. I am ready to let go of him. I'm ready to embrace the new Doctor and let's go. And it's like this episode was written for me. It was entirely about this letting go process, and none of the modern regeneration stories have been about that. They've been about the drama of the character departing. Christopher Eccleston, brief scene, you know, I'm going to change, I'm not going to see you again, with this, not with this face. Tenth Doctor, I don't want to go. Eleventh Doctor, uh, he's a coming, I will always remember when the Doctor was me. It's stuff that happens to them. It's not something that they actually work to make peace at. This is the one where it's all about that for the first Doctor and especially the 12th Doctor. And that made me feel so good. 
there was only one moment, unexpected moment, when I teared up in this episode, and it had nothing to do with the twelfth Doctor. We'll get to we'll get to that point, but I was sitting back watching a consummate actor do some of the best work of his three seasons plus specials in Doctor Who, and I was like, "You go, you are rocking this. Keep going." I felt good when this thing was over. I felt like Peter Capaldi had closed the book and had done his best work. I hope he is proud and satisfied of the work that he did in this episode because he came, he got to breathe life into one of his favorite characters of all time and just give them the best send off of, you know, letting him go, letting him continue letting somebody else new come and breathe life into this character that was his for a time. I think your comment about intentionality is really interesting because for me, I've lost a lot of people this year. And it's one of those things that you can't be intentional because you don't know what's coming. And it's, I have lived this past year with such grief that even a fictional character Losing that character that means so much to you is one of those things that you don't want to be intentional about because it just feels unfair and wrong to lose them. You know, the doctor said in this episode, he's gotten so tired of losing people. And God, that made me cry, too, because I feel that more than ever, that I'm tired of losing people, of having to let people go. But it it came around to such a a good point at the end that it's you're letting go, but the memories are there. The memories continue. They live on through the people that you knew and loved by a testimony, you know, preserving those people's memories in glass. There's a sort of meta commentary there about preserving this story about how it lives on TV episodes that never get deleted because like hell are we deleting any more of these Doctor Who episodes that we are (laughs) preserving and holding on to our history that Peter Capaldi's time as the Doctor is is never going to go that we always have that to fall back on and so it's this episode felt like you know the Doctor working himself up to having to let go of the life that he knows now but also walking the audience up to it, that the drama this time is, this is hard, but there is so much hope and excitement in the future. It's okay to let me go too. Yeah. When we're talking about memories, we are talking about uh, not only remembering Peter Capaldi as the 12th Doctor and him remembering, you know, who he was, but he's also remembering who he was with. And we get not only the memory of Bill back thanks to the testimony but we also get a smaller panto walk down than we got uh in the end of time but we do get uh nardole and clara as well and it seemed a little shoehorned in Uh, jenna coleman was definitely on green screen definitely was not in, (laughs) in in the shot there nardole again you know uh sort of there's sort of this tension between I like Matt Lucas and I like what he did, but there he is horning in on 
the departure scene with Bill one more time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, these were all good moments, uh, but what did you think? And what did you think of uh, the way Bill was used in this episode? I'm always grateful for more opportunities to see Bill and Clara. I think that we still end with many of my same flags from The Doctor Falls, that Bill doesn't really get a satisfying ending. You know, the doctor sort of has a point when he says that she's not really here. There is a collection of memories that can walk around in a glass avatar, but it's not Bill really living and forming new experiences. It's, it, it is her memories acting upon the last things that she knew and saw and lived before she died. However, that might have happened far off in the future. You know, she seemed to be functionally immortal, but I guess uh, even immortal space puddles die. I, th- uh, You know, I, I, I think my headcanon for this is that the testimony got her just, you know, she saw Heather but she didn't remember what happened after that. My theory is that the testimony got her just before Heather turned her into a fellow puddle person. So as, as far as I'm concerned, Bill's story is still ongoing. And whether she decides to unpuddle herself and become a human again sometime other or whatever, I think that I think that that story is still available to be told if Chris Chibnall or future showrunners and Pearl Mackey are so inclined. Possibly. I, I doubt it. And that's that's sort of where my flag comes in of I I wish we had had a better send off for Bill. It still feels unsatisfying um and but she's a perfect addition in this episode it's not really her story though she is brought in to serve the story of the doctor choosing to regenerate she exists to ask the right questions for the doctor to provide exposition off of both the first and the 12th and there's seems to be potentially a little meta commentary in there of first doctor saying, oh, you, you, you ask good questions. And she notes that of, you know, that's sort of the way the companion has been used frequently in Doctor Who to ask the right questions so the doctor can exposition. I'd rather have her for as little time or as much time as we can get her than not. But I still feel, you know, I, I am grateful that we are moving into an era where the main character, the protagonist is now a woman and they you know, their stories are going to be their own uh, and not just exist to serve another character's story. I think that it was good to have them all there for the Twelfth Doctor's send-off. I do like having the companions come back and make an appearance that they can all sort of say goodbye to their Doctor. Uh, And I think it's just perfect and right that the Twelfth Doctor ends his era having his memories of Clara fully restored, that he remembers exactly who she is, who she was, and the impact that she had on his life. Because I'm with Clara, frankly, that was offensive. And I'm just so glad that they finally get to have that relationship fully acknowledged and remembered. Yeah. And Nardle? 
Eh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? You didn't love the glass nipples joke? No, frankly, <laughs> I did not. The cuddle line was cute. That is the one joke from Nardole that I like pretty consistently. That's okay. Uh, the 12th Doctor saying, oh, you think your death can't get any worse. And then here walks in Nardole is sort of where I am with this. Uh, Matt Lucas, I love you, but... God, that character could be better written. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have their parting, and the doctor says that what he his his next decision must be made alone. And apparently, it's going to be written in a book somewhere in uh, BBC operating documents that when it's Chris Chibnall's turn to leave uh, Doctor Who and turn it over to a showrunner. His doctor must regenerate in an explosion that will destroy the set. <laughs> because uh, twice that, twice creates a precedent. Yes, twice does, in fact, create a precedent. Uh, but now Jody gets a whole fancy new TARDIS. Isn't that great? In theory, there is speculation out there that, you know, um, well, let's get to the end there first. Uh, but he gives himself one hell of a commencement speech he gives he her a hell of a commencement speech uh pronouns are hard um that just seemed to be just the greatest manifesto for what and who the doctor and doctor who are supposed to be Yes, it's a wonderful way of passing down the doctor's rules of what's important to him, what he feels defines him as a person and what he wants her to carry into her new life. But it's a beautiful statement on the doctor and the importance of the doctor, that whole moment of the only people that will understand your name are children of they understand just who he is and how important he is was just delightful. Absolutely, absolutely delightful. If I'm so upset this episode aired so late because I would have loved to show this to my baby cousin, but she's off to bed. She's long, long since asleep. Come on, BBC America, let's start showing this at 5.30 in the afternoon, uh, 5.30 Eastern time, 2.30 Pacific time, because no more of this time-delayed nonsense. <laughs> like, Abs absolutely. It's this a is family show. I want the kids to be brought into this. I want to pass this along to the next generation because that's that's the show. That's it right there. We love it as adults, but kids carry it in their heart in a special way. And if you have enough of a childlike heart, you carry it too, but they they just get it. They know how important this is. And she's not going to be able to watch it until tomorrow. So come on, guys, get it together. <laughs> Oh, we, we did miss one thing, uh, plot, one plot thread before we get back to the result of his uh, big speech, and that is Mark Gatiss's role as Captain, surprising no one, he is Captain Lethbridge Stewart. He is the father of, um, presum presumably the father, maybe an uncle, it wasn't absolutely spelled out, but sure, he was the father of the brigadier. And Would you believe it? I didn't see that coming. The mustache was just too naff. I, 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 it had to be. It had to be the Brigadier's dad. That I, I, I was not surprised at all. And yet that was the moment when I cried, 
when really uh, really was when he when he gave his name and i was completely not surprised but i was watching the first doctor sort of yeah i'll look in and just watching the 12th doctor be thunderstruck and say i can assure you that promise will be kept you know that was Mm -hmm. that got me in my sentimental never letting go of anything velcro ball feels right there (laughs) I cannot believe, like in retrospect, I should have totally guessed it. I didn't even, it didn't even enter any of my speculation. I never for a minute thought that was going to be the Brigadier's dad. Like, I totally should have, but it just sailed right over my head. And I am actually kind of happy that for once I didn't, I didn't pick up on that uh, because it was a lovely, pleasant surprise partway through to go, oh yeah, there's somebody else here uh, that we get to have a little tribute to. I did actually cry uh, at the whole World War One scene uh, where uh, the Christmas armistice is declared and they come out together to celebrate Christmas on the battlefield. It's one of those just incredible moments in history that you just can't quite believe that it happened. And it did. Uh, it totally did. This is not overly sentimental. This is what yeah. uh, Christmas 1914 was like. Yep. And to use that moment to save the captain's life. And I thought that was just a a little stroke of brilliance there. It's such a moment of hope in an otherwise bleak and unforgiving war. You know, it's an absolute horrendous mess on the front lines of World War I. Um, You know, it is grueling and depressing and deadly Mm -hmm. and seems pointless and hopeless in the trenches. And there's just this shining moment of hope of deciding to come together, uh, to live together, to have a little moment of peace. And I I did like that, you know, the first doctor connected it to say, this is what it means to be the doctor of war. You know, it's, it's not just that the doctor is a warrior, that sometimes he finds a little moment of peace on a battlefield. Yeah. But also, what a perfect backdrop for the 12th Doctor to have to make his decision about whether or not he's going to go on. Because you're surrounded by that much bleakness. You do have that one win. But, you know, can he keep doing it? Can he keep going? And it's the perfect line that Stephen Moffat gives him that maybe one more time, maybe just one more time. Because you know, as he says it, that... The doctor is going to say one more time, the next time, and the next time, and the next time. He's just going to keep going, not because the doctor is an energizer bunny, but because the doctor has work to do. And the doctor is always perpetually full of hope. You know, one more time, one more time, as much applies to the show as it does to the character, because as much as we sort of sometimes take it for granted that we're always going to get a new Doctor Who, we're going to get a new episode next weekend, we're going to get a new season next year, we're going to get a new Doctor and a new showrunner next time around. It's still a fight to keep this show alive and moving. And, you know, this fandom knows more than any other that cancellation and hiatuses are not the end, that we will find those little moments in between to continue and carry on the show, uh, and that 
there can be new life, uh, even once the show has been pulled off the air. But we're fighting now of just one more time, one more doctor, one more round at this and keep this show going forward as long as we can. And then there's a burst of energy. Somebody points out that the first we saw of the 12th Doctor was his eyes and his forehead. And that's the last we see of the 12th Doctor, his eyes and his forehead. (laughs) And then here is one of the things that I adore about Rachel Talalay. Those last couple of minutes with Jodie Whittaker as the 13th Doctor, the direction just completely changes. It looks so different the slow cuts from Jodie Whittaker's eyes to the console to her hands back to her eyes. You know, we take some time for this. We take some time to sort of celebrate this moment that a woman is now the doctor or the doctor is now a woman. It's interchangeable. Then she reaches out to the console screen. She turns it around. She catches her reflection And she says the two most perfect words that could ever be a doctor's first words. She is delighted. This is joy. This is brilliant. (laughs) I just, it was gorgeous. I mean, how? Like, I'm in awe of how stunningly gorgeous that regeneration scene was because like I'll be honest there are very few regeneration scenes that I actually like Eccleston's from Eccleston's to Tenet is you know it's kind of rushed and confused and it's it's very utilitarian it it happens and then it's done and we have Tenet. Tenet to Matt Smith is sort of beautiful, delightful chaos that the TARDIS is crashing and blowing up. And here's manic Matt Smith running around and figuring out his body and realizing I am crashing. And then you have uh, Matt Smith's sneeze into Peter Capaldi, which is <laughs> just, okay, whatever. And this was gorgeous from the start to the end. I was a little confused at first about why why are we not focusing on Jody? Why are we not seeing her? But that's that's the point. That's what makes it beautiful. I have now watched it uh a fair number of times. Uh and it's it, it's one of those things that just will be stunning and iconic that we see her eyes first. We see her and then we come back and we're seeing her lit by the TARDIS console from behind. And we just see this outline of her sort of stunned. We see this from her perspective, which I can't actually recall. I don't think we've had one of those from their perspective shots that she's stumbling around a little bit unsteady to see her own reflection. And then we get that gorgeous pan up of we see the 12th Doctor's clothes now ragged beyond all belief from everything he's dragged that suit through. And there's brilliant, beautiful Jodie Whittaker, just stunned and happy. And then everything goes into chaos. Yeah. You know, if the objective is to whet the appetite and leave you frustrated that you don't know more about her beyond in one sense, everything you need to know is communicated and, oh, brilliant. Mm-hmm. But TARDIS blows up. The 13th Doctor is 
blown out of the doors and falling through the sky while the TARDIS disappears. You are left with simply, how is she going to get out of this one and what's going to come next? We have, we still have no idea. I am left like impatient, wanting, yes, not just wanting the show to come back in the fall, but I want to know who the 13th Doctor is right now, damn it. How is she going to get out of this? How is she going to recover? How is she going to get her TARDIS back? It is the perfect, perfect ending to a regeneration. Yeah. Uh, in my Two Minute Time Lord podcast, I talked about how it, all of these Christmas regeneration stories are more about goodbyes than hellos. And, um, you know, I forced myself to try to think in terms of hello. I'm totally there. But... Man, it's going to be a long, long eight or nine or ten months, however long it's going to be before we finally get a go sign on this. We can't talk about this being Peter Capaldi's last episode without talking about it being Stephen Moffat's last episode. I think that it is a much more successful uh, regeneration story than Time of the Doctor. And I think that aside from some of the lines that don't work for me that – are intentionally sort of uh, in, intent. They're intentionally awkward about uh, sex and sexism and physicality and things like that, from glass nipples to the casual misogyny between the captain and uh, the first doctor. Aside from that, this is a really excellently crafted script, and I think it's one of Stephen Moffat's finest. I think so. It's one of those stories that will always be special to me because of what it means for the 12th Doctor and how he sets it up for the regeneration into Jodie Whittaker's Doctor, that he sort of, he gives her a good platform on which to launch. I think that it is, for me, a sort of quintessential Moffat script, like the peak of what Moffat can do is heaven sent, beautiful, poetic, slightly terrifying, gorgeously written plays around with time and perception in a in a great way. This is probably one of the most quintessential Moffat scripts of what he could do on a good day. You know, he has a good heartfelt story at its center about the doctor just trying to save one person. And there's some fun ways of playing around with time and memories. You know, it's a little bit quintessential in everything sort of has to be sexy, even really, no, we did not need the nipples line. Uh, He's going to try to address misogyny, and sometimes it may have just been better to leave it alone and let it lie. But he does a hell of a good speech, and he gets what Doctor Who is at its core of what it can be. And, you know, I think that he's a writer that frustrates me and inspires me at the same time that I have never just as I have never yelled at a show quite as passionately and angrily as I have Doctor Who, because I know that he also gives me some of my absolute favorite 
episodes, some of the best, most well-written episodes that challenge you and inspire you at the same time about what this show can be. And this is just, again, one of those stories where I am simultaneously cheering and raising my hands and also going, why did you do that? Like, (laughs) this is, this is just who he is and what he does. Uh, And it was a good send off to him as well. I think this is sort of him reaching the point uh, of he has been wrestling with the idea of what makes the doctor a good man since he took over the show. And, and he's, he's reached the thesis statement. He's reached the final line. Just be kind. That's what it means to be good. That's what it means to be the doctor. Yeah. I have just one final thought, and that is that unlike Russell T. Davis's last episode, uh, The End of Time Parts 1 and 2, this is a very generous story to the next showrunner. I don't blame RTD, as as I've said. I'm the president and charter member of the The End of Time is Not That Bad fan club. But mm-hmm. The End of Time is very much a summation of Russell T. Davis's time as Doctor Who showrunner. And he's the one who brought it back. It was, for all intents and purposes, a new show. And that's all well and good. And I think he earned it. Stephen Moffat could have done the same thing here, and he didn't. He basically built a platform that Chris Chibnall can dive off of. Yes, and I think that the line at the end of Tenet's tenure where he says, I don't want to go, is perfect for the character and for the show at that point. Like, I understand where it comes from, but it's not exceptionally generous to Matt Smith afterwards because now it's how do we go from here? How do we, you know, get people to be on board for this? Uh, And this is a very generous ending from Peter Capaldi and uh, uh, Stephen Moffat to say, doctor, I let you go. I let you grow and continue. And the doctor says it up front. You can die as you are, or you can change and you can live. And that's what this is. And that's what they recognize. And they are letting the doctor live and grow and change from this. Uh, It was, I think, the perfect way to welcome the first woman doctor and the only way they could have done it to give Jodie Whittaker the best possible start that she needs to take the show in a historic and wonderful and much needed, but also scary and new and uncertain direction. Yeah. We have seen with the release and the reaction to Star Wars The Last Jedi that there is going to be a vocal contingent of people very unhappy with their stories no longer being centered. And I expect that it's going to be a hard couple of months when Doctor Who returns with Jodie Whittaker in terms of attacks on the show. It's it's just it's just plain going to be hard. And I think that that is the greatest act of generosity that Stephen Moffat has done, not just for his efforts, which he should get credit for, for laying the groundwork for a female doctor to come in, even though he and previous showrunners didn't take the option themselves when they had the opportunity. But to be really, really intentional about 
making this story, Twice Upon a Time, about letting go and moving on. It couldn't have been a more welcoming final episode for the next generation to take over. Or a more perfect send-off for a doctor who meant so much to carry us this far to bring us to the next generation of this show. Thank you all for joining us for this special Christmas edition of This Week in Time Travel. You can find us online at thisweekintimetravel.com. We're also on Twitter at DRWho this week. Chip is on Twitter at numeral two minute time lord. And I'm on Twitter and Tumblr at Whovian Feminism. And you can find us on Facebook too. We are going to take a year end break. So next week will be no week in time travel, but we will be back. We release our episodes every Tuesday. We're grateful to Jason Snell at the Incomparable Network for hosting us. The Incomparable has also released a flashcast with his and his panel's reactions to Twice Upon a Time. So be sure to check that out as well. Thanks to Christopher Breen for our music, to David J. Lore for our podcast artwork. And I think that's all the time we have. Until next time, bye-bye, Alyssa. Bye-bye, Chip. <laughs> <laughs>